We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Tuesday evening edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast, brought to you as always by WinBet. Check out winbet.com. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we're about three hours from tip-off of Bucks Nets Game 5, a, a extremely pivotal game, one that I, I think it's fair to say could ultimately decide uh, which team has the inside track, not only to winning this series, but coming out of the East and, and potentially winning the finals. The Nets have looked a lot shakier these last two games, partially because they lost Kyrie Irving midway through game four. Uh, and, and of course, James Harden, you know, losing him midway through game one has or early in game one uh, has been no small thing as well. But we, we suddenly have a series. Everything is completely flipped. The Bucks look like they were headed toward maybe getting swept out of the series. They look like even after game three, it was like the most discouraging, like big home win of all time uh, with just like horrific basketball being played by all sides in the fourth quarter. Um, but a fairly convincing Bucks win again with Kyrie Irving missing the second half on Sunday. And now this is setting up for an ultra intriguing game five, which is made even more intriguing by the fact that we're apparently going to see James Harden back in the lineup. He's going to test out the hamstring and warmups, but barring any sort of setback, uh, it looks like Harden will be back in the lineup with Kevin Durant. I, I don't want to talk about this game in too much depth. Specifically, we could talk about the series. We could talk about Harden. Um, just because, you know, by the, by the time this is posted, it'll basically be game time, but you know, for posterity, how big of a risk do you feel like this is for the Nets to bring back Harden if he's not 100% healthy? I think it's a, like a pretty sizable risk, but I think you're right when you mentioned the momentum of the series has flipped. Although I don't think that happened until like Kyrie went down in game four, where it felt like really the Bucks realized like we can win this series i think like as soon as they saw Kyrie walking off the court they're like we might have this because i was there for game three and i can tell you the energy like at the beginning when the bucks got into that huge lead was insane and then as the next started to crawl back there was still like a lot of buzz in the building i mean the game was really intense for a long time but i can say at least down the stretch um like 
towards the end of the fourth quarter, very the nobody none of the fans really were convinced the Bucks were like going to win that game for certain. Like everyone was still scared of Kevin Durant. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Bucks ended up kind of I want to say lucking into a victory, but I it kind of felt like we stole one. I think everyone in the building knew that. Um and uh so it didn't really feel like the momentum had shifted then. But game four was huge. And I think the Nets really don't have a choice because game four, the Bucks changed up their game plan a ton. Um, a lot more, you know, uh, bullying the Nets inside, a lot more pick and roll. Um, it seemed like the, the you know, Bugenhoser finally made an adjustment. And I think Nash realizes that and says, well, you know, I think we have to play Harden now because, you know, our second best player without Harden is now either Joe Harris or Blake Griffin. And that's mm-hmm. that's just not going to do it against the Bucks. Right. I, I always say it's not necessarily about losing uh, a, a player like Kyrie Irving. It's who's replacing him. And obviously you're not going to have someone who's nearly that caliber of a player. But I think for the Nets, it's it's a truly troubling situation because you don't even have a like defensive minded guard who you can just throw out there and say, all right, well, you know, even though this guy isn't going to give us anything on offense, he normally plays 12 minutes. But yeah, at least now we have this this like super great defender who's going to step in and, and play the Kyrie minutes. And even though he's not going to give us any scoring, you know, he might help us shut down Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton. And it's kind of the opposite for, for the Nets, where the guys that are replacing Kyrie Irving and, and to a you know a greater extent for this series, James Harden, are, you know, Mike James, Landry Shamit, Chris Gioza, if you want to dust him off, Tyler Johnson. Um, like these, these are not really guys that, that are like standouts in any one area. Mike James has had some had some nice minutes in this series at times. He was horrible in Sunday's game four, you know, kind of part of the reason that the Nets allowed this game to get out of hand once Kyrie went out. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little concerning, I guess. And that's, that just comes with how you build this team. You know, when you build a team that has three superstars, you usually don't have the luxury of a a bench that goes eight or nine deep with guys that you feel really great about. Um, You know, you're, you're going to be top heavy naturally. And and you're basically banking on not losing two of those three guys. And that's now exactly what situation the Nets are in. And, you know, going back to the Harden point, I, I hope he's healthy. I really, really hope that hamstring doesn't give out on him again, because if it does, you have to wonder, is that probably it for him for the postseason, even if the Nets were to advance? Um, he's already tweaked it twice before. I mean, this is a guy who has like virtually no injury history. So it's, you know, it's an injury that it, it feels like he's just has never fully recovered from dating all the way back to midseason. So I'm very interested to see what he ends up looking like in game five. I have my doubts that we're going to see 35 point 15 assists James Harden right away uh, I, I I think he's probably going to be feeling it out I think he's probably going to see limited minutes but you know beyond Harden if, if you don't get that version of him obviously you can count on Durant for a big game but if, especially if Joe Harris can't get going and when you really only have to worry about playing Kevin Durant you know straight up super closely like they did in game four you know you, you still have plenty of energy and plenty of focus to to shut down Joe Harris you know when you don't have to worry about necessarily a, a third star uh, that really frees up Joe Harris to be Joe Harris. I, I'm worried for the Nets tonight. Um, you know, if the Bucks are able to pull this off and and come home for Game Six, even if Harden's a little bit healthier, um, that they're going to have a really good chance, I, I think, to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, the question for me is like, what does this ultimately mean for Milwaukee? Like, can can the Bucks put this in context and say, okay, we were probably not going to win this series. We were maybe going to get swept before Kyrie Irving got hurt, and if James Harden plays, you know, we were going to be in real trouble. You know, the, I, I don't think I don't think the Bucks can like rest on their laurels, I guess, for lack of a better term, and just say, well, we we beat the best team in the league. Now we're the best team in the league. Like, you know, the next challenge is going to be super difficult. And the way that the Bucks have played, especially offensively, struggling to get their shots in, in all four games, really, in this series, 
it's not like I would see them as like massive favorites against Utah or Phoenix or the Clippers or whichever team comes out of the West. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Bucks could end up kind of just sliding into the NBA finals. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you coast through the heat who seemed like they were not mentally prepared for the first round series. And then if they win this series, it's, I, I agree with you. I think it's mostly because of injuries. Um, and then assuming they go up against Philly, which isn't even, uh, that's not even you know uh, set in stone yet but assuming they go against philly and beats hurt um and you never know like he looked pretty uh he he wasn't he was way less than 100 percent last game so you know you could end up beating them if if Embiid's hurt and then again you're in the nba finals now because you kind of just coasted through some teams who mm-hmm. you you got very lucky um i guess to say the least absolutely i mean i i think even the biggest buck supporters would probably acknowledge that this is an extremely lucky break. Uh, I, I don't think there's any team in the league that was going to beat a fully healthy Brooklyn Nets team. But every year something like this happens. And, you know, there's a reason that the, the NBA is, is really just like a predetermined outcome from start to finish. We had a couple years, 2017 and 18, where that basically was the case with the Warriors. And and then the Warriors were hit with, you know, the, some injury bad luck uh, of their own in, in 2019. And, and obviously that's still kind of carrying over uh, with Clay Thompson. And, and Durant was a part of that as well. My question to you is, I guess, this series and the NBA playoffs at large, is there any, is there going to be some sort of asterisk where people say, man, injuries were just insane, not only in the playoffs, but through the regular season, you know, starting with the COVID absences early on, and then, you know, so many soft tissue injuries that uh, have, have affected uh, pretty much every team in the league at this point, and a number of big names in the NBA playoffs. Um, I mean, do, do you think people look back on this and, and will we'll ultimately bring that up if if a team like Milwaukee or, you know, let's say Atlanta winds up in the NBA finals. I think there's a, there, there's a good chance people end up bringing that up. Um, you know, I think, I think when we see like a normal NBA schedule next year, that we'll kind of realize how insane this season was. Um, you know, you had, you had mentioned to me before that last season with the bubble and this season kind of just feel like one giant condensed, um, like season to some extent. And it, it really does. Like, it feels like there was no break. And I feel like once, you know, once next year comes around and we, <laughs> there's only like two or three games a week again, sometimes four, um, it's not constant three or four that we'll realize like, man, last year was like, you know, um, something like we've never seen before, but there's a good chance that, you know, like I need the teams that are like, uh, any team that could win the NBA finals right now, maybe with the exception of Atlanta, uh, I think people could have realistically made a case for any of those teams to to win the NBA Finals anyway. I will say this season definitely feels more legitimate than the bubble season, and I'm I'm in the camp of the bubble is as legitimate as any other finals. You know, I, I take nothing away from any of the teams that won or lost in the bubble, but the no fans thing, I, I've said this over and over on the pod. Like I I very much underestimated how big of a deal that is, especially in the playoffs. Like it's so much more enjoyable as a as a viewer. Uh, to have the fans there, it just, it, you know, the sense of the moment, you know, like the, you couldn't really tell the difference between an NBA finals game and those, what do they call them? Seeding games last year, like the yeah. warm up games in the bubble. Like there was really nothing different about the presentation of those games. If you just watched it, especially if you like turn the sound down, you'd be like, I have no idea if this is a big game or not. Like it's now very clear. You watch some of those games in Phoenix. I mean, really all the home crowds have been fantastic. That's really what makes the difference to me. And, and I ultimately don't think that like changes the outcome all that much, uh, especially, you know, you look at round one Clippers in Dallas where it took seven games for a home team to even win. But 
when, when you're just talking about like, does this feel like a real NBA playoffs or will it feel like a real NBA finals for as, as great as last year's was, it was still, it was better than just ending the season without a champion. Like this just feels so much better uh, and just so much more satisfying as a fan. And you were in the building for game three. So like, how, how did that feel? Uh, kind of like an ugly street fight type of game where, you know, there wasn't like a great run where the fans are going crazy in the, you know, in the third and fourth quarter. But I mean, what was your experience going to your first NBA game? I would presume in like two years. Yeah, it was um, I would say at times it was like borderline rabid, like people were <laughs> going crazy. Like, I, you know, Fiserv has that that area outside right outside fr- uh, the front that they show sometimes on the broadcast where there's like a big TV and people are hanging yeah, out outside. Distance. Yeah. After the win, they were just blaring like uh, dance music from the, the late 2000s. Sure. People were on each other's shoulders, jumping around um, and even like. You know, early in the first quarter, like a couple of those Giannis dunks, like every single person was like jumping out of their chair and screaming, Um, you know, like compared to. Yeah, I mean, because, again, people haven't been seeing a basketball game in person in like uh, over a year. And this isn't like a this isn't like we brought them back for a regular season game, um, you know, where people will just like sit and clap quietly when Giannis does like a 360 dunk. Uh, Like even for like a Middleton even for like a Middleton, you know, post up shot, people are like practically standing up and screaming. It was um, it, it was really intense. Well, the way that game played out, like it was ugly to watch on TV. But by virtue of both teams missing virtually every shot for a six minute period in the fourth quarter, every every make just became that much bigger. You know, like yeah. when, when Middleton finally kind of took the lid off late in the fourth and Durant had a couple big shots. Uh, you know, Holiday had that spin move to lay it in that that ultimately proved to be the winning basket for Milwaukee. Like. I mean, it's, it's still a fun game to be. I mean, it's an intense game to be. Oh, I yeah. always I'm someone that prefers to be at a blowout so you can just relax. You know, like I want, <laughs> I want the, the team that I'm rooting for. I want to be up 15 to 20 points going into the fourth so I could just chill and, and maybe leave a little bit early. But I mean, being at a game like that for, for as ugly as it is, you know, when you take it as a whole, it's a really intense environment. Yeah, it wasn't any um like we all kind of knew it was a low scoring game, but I didn't really realize it till I like kind of, we looked up in the middle of the second quarter, maybe we're like, you know, these teams have like 30 points. Um, it had no less intensity than a game, you know, that was like, that would end like 120 to 121 or anything like that. Like it, in no way did it feel any less, um, like less exciting, um, when the final score ended up as low as it did. I mean, at that point, it's just you need a win because I, I'm sure everyone in the arena knew that if Milwaukee loses this game, it's over, regardless of what, you know, whatever, whoever's out there with Kevin Durant for the next four games, if it comes to that, the Nets aren't losing all four of those. Yeah, 100 percent. Like everyone, everyone kind of knew the stakes. Um, definitely some nervous energy, um, like right before tip off for, for sure. Um, and late in the fourth quarter, like, you know, during the timeouts, like they're trying to hype people up you know, doing like the t-shirt toss and like oh, yeah. the the meter where it's like the loudness meter. And I'm telling you, like n- very few people were like up and screaming. Like really? everyone was just kind of nervously. People were either like <laughs> nervously sitting with their hands in their lap or like standing with their arms crossed. Um, yeah, it was it was like I, I, I think most people thought like it was over. Um, but yeah, it was it was crazy. Do they still have the t-shirt Gatling gun? They did not bring it out. What? No, they didn't bring out the Gatling gun. I know. COVID protocols? Like what? How? What would be the reason <laughs> for that? Uh, you know, well, the COVID protocols were, um, to say the least, lightly enforced. Um, I would imagine. 
there was like uh you know at the at, at the at every hallway like where you would walk out there'd be a person holding a, a sign that would say please put your mask on but like there was zero enforcement like you could just walk by without even a mask in your hand and they wouldn't right. say anything to you it feels like the last step to true normalcy is arenas removing the tarps behind the bench, which yep. I, I don't know what those are there for. My, my assumption is that it's so a presumably COVID positive fan couldn't like cough on the player sitting on the yep. bench. I That would be my guess entirely. Yeah, because it's you still that still provides a weird view um, at certain arenas, like depending on the angle, it kind of looks like there's nobody in the crowd because all you're seeing behind the bench are those tarps. And I, I believe Milwaukee had them like all the way across one side, right? Yeah, it it almost felt it, it feels more noticeable on TV yeah. because um when you're there it's like literally every other seat in the stadium is filled. Right. Yeah. Well, I I we need to get those gone because fans being right on top of the players is is part of the fun, especially in the playoffs. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, let's go to Clippers Jazz real quick. So we'll get um, we'll get game five of this series uh, later in the week. That'll come on Wednesday night. I, we were talking off air. You know, I've, I've watched every game of this series. It's It's been a fun series. It's been back and forth, you know, 2-0 Utah and now 2-2 after a pair of pretty convincing wins by the Clippers. But I, I'm just having a hard time, like, really locking into this one the same way that I have some other series. I don't Maybe it's because, like, even though the Clippers went down 0-2, I was like, this doesn't matter. We saw this happen in round one. And they basically did exactly what they've done in games three and four of this series. I, for some reason, for as anemic as the Clippers have been, I still feel like they have the highest ceiling in a single series of, of any team that's still alive in the West. I think that's fair. Um, you know, Kawhi Leonard continues to like just put on. I mean, he last game, he had an insane dunk over Derek Favors. Um, obviously, that's like the least of that's like the least of what he's accomplished uh, over the first two rounds. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I, I still don't trust them entirely because Paul George, like as a team, they can kind of no show. And I think to some extent that's how they're built, right? Like, because Paul George is an individual, sometimes no shows. And then aside from the main two, they just rely really heavily on making their threes. So, you know, if there's a game where Paul George isn't really, you know, turned up to 100 percent and the threes aren't falling for the Clippers, they can just look really bad. But if both of those things do happen, like George plays well, threes are going down, they look unstoppable. Um, and I think it's hard to get a gauge on them because, uh, or on this series, because the Jazz are um, a tough team to for me to grasp as well, just in terms of they don't have, 
I mean, Mitchell, first of all, Donovan Mitchell is playing like a superstar, you know, kind of before the series and during the season, we were like, well, this team is great. They play super well as a team, but do they have, you know, they, they don't have a top 10 player in the NBA on their team. Um, Donovan Mitchell is playing like a top 10 NBA player right now. Um, but that's part of the reason, like, it's hard to, you know, get a grasp on them, I think, is because suddenly they've gone from a team that's played super well as a collective with Donovan Mitchell scoring like 20, 25 points a game. Mm-hmm. Now they're, you know, Donovan Mitchell's averaging 37 a game. Um, and the other guys, like, aren't doing as much as they were before. Some of that is Mike yep. Conley getting hurt. Um, but I, I think we just, like, as a quick aside, like, uh, Donovan Mitchell over the past, you know, two playoffs has been unbelievable. Like from the bubble onward, yeah. like his last 15 playoff games, he's 35 points a game on 49, 47, 90 shooting. That's insane. A lot of people won't say this, but he is, he's good at basketball. You know? <laughs> right. And I, was he even an all-star this year? I need to double check. Okay, he was. Yeah, like, he it, was. It, it felt like he's had the same regular season four years in a row. Like, cause he was so good as a rookie. Um, and it's kind of like the Ben Simmons thing. And obviously he hasn't faced quite as much scrutiny as Simmons has for obvious reasons, but it's like, okay, when you start that high in year one, there's only so much higher you can go. And I I think it it was like, oh, this guy's the next Dwayne Wade. And, you know, the numbers in years two and three were pretty similar. He boosted them a little bit, uh, this season, career high 5.2 assists, you know, up to 26 points per game, but the efficiency dropped a little bit. He was under 44% from the field. Um, you know, did take more threes and, and hit him at a pretty good rate. So that's part of it. But it, it felt like he kind of stagnated. But yeah, like you said, this is now the second playoffs in a row where he's been, I mean, he's in the conversation for the best individual player in the playoffs so far, which it, it always kind of felt like he was going to top out as maybe not like a top five to seven player in the league, but kind of in that, that like eight to 15 range every year. And I mean, it, we need to see him do it, I guess, a little bit more in the regular season. But if he's going to be this guy consistently in the playoffs, like he's, and he's only in his fourth year, which, which seems crazy, but I mean, he, I, I think we have to consider, you know, what his ceiling is and what his kind of ranking in the unofficial NBA hierarchy is. Um, because I, I think most people, when you'd say like, who'd you rather have Jason Tatum or Donovan Mitchell? I think most people right away would say Jason Tatum, but like that debate and, and other guys in that tier, it's probably closer than, than maybe we thought it was a few weeks ago, even. Yeah. I mean, Tatum, Tatum has played really well too, in the last few playoffs. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's it's crazy how good or how much some of these young guys are like stepping up in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, normally like they they really take their lumps for even like up to like three years basically. Um, and some of that is like they they have good teams around them. Although Tatum, you know, this year was was <laughs> in the playoffs. That was an awful team. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, it's this this kind of upcoming generation is um, insanely talented. And so like I wouldn't be surprised if Utah. I mean, I, I really have no idea. I have no, like you said, I have no feel on who is going to win this series. I wouldn't be surprised at all if this goes seven. Um, honestly, at this point, it's kind of what I'm expecting. If they can get Mike Conley back, that'll be huge. But um, I don't know if that's coming. Going back to the Clippers for a second, are Kawhi and Paul George the best duo remaining in the playoffs right now? The other candidates, and I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, so I'm trying to buy sure. you some time to think about it. <laughs> the other candidates would be Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, uh, Embiid and, and I guess Simmons, um, Trey Young and Solomon Hill, Giannis and Middleton slash uh, Holiday, and then Kevin Durant and take your pick of Irving uh, and Harden. Well, if Durant and Harden 
if Harden's healthy, if we if it's a 100% James Harden, then I'm picking KD and Harden. Um, other than that, I would go. Uh, I think I would go George and, and Kawhi. Um, it is close to me though for Giannis and Middleton. I think as of right now, assuming full health, I'd go KD, Harden, Kawhi, George, and Giannis Middleton. But two and three for me are like super close. Like I think Giannis Middleton has definitely the potential to be better than Kawhi and George. I I go back and forth like Giannis Middleton versus Giannis Holiday, and and Drew has not been great in this series. And you know Middleton's certainly been the better of those two. I, I feel like I like that threesome better, but it it would be hard for me to say I like that twosome better than some of the other like legitimate superstar superstar tandems. And and even though Paul George has has had some you know extremely off games in the playoffs over the years. Like I, I still feel like his, his like nightly ceiling is a, a little bit higher than Chris Middleton's, even if Middleton on the whole might be the more consistent player. Um, I'm with you on KD. Like I will take KD and whoever, like I, I think KD is so far the best player of anybody left that if you're pairing him with any other all-star, and of course it happens to be a seven time first, first team all NBA guy in Harden or, you know, a, a, a NBA champion, you know, perennial all-star in Kyrie. Like that's more than enough. Like that, Whoever you put with Durant, that duo is on another tier for me. This is kind of a sidebar, but like this Nets team is also supposed to have Spencer Dinwiddie on it. Yeah, I, I thought about that when I was doing our our daily projections the other day, and I'm thinking like, man, I we're really gonna assign Mike James like 28 minutes in this game. Like this would be a perfect time to have Spencer Dinwiddie. I know. Um, yeah, I mean, going into next year, that will be huge for them too. But if, I, if at he's this back, point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's well, you know, I, I said earlier on that this is kind of one of the perils of building your team like this. When you have three superstars, you're just not going to have much of a supporting cast. But I mean, honestly, compared to some of the other super teams we've seen, like Brooklyn supporting cast isn't that bad, especially for a team that made a midseason trade this season and like didn't have a full offseason to grab a bunch of like veterans who just want to ring chase. Uh, obviously, they were able to add Blake and, and they'd have a little more depth if LaMarcus Aldridge was able to you know remain in the league. But like overall, I, I felt pretty good about this roster. It didn't really feel like it was three all-stars and then a bunch of G-leaguers. Like, I mean, the fact that they were able to even keep Joe Harris in the Harden deal is, is kind of highway robbery on their part. Yeah, I, I agree. Like it's, um, yeah, again, when you factor in, like they're, they're supposed to have Dinwiddie. They are, you know, they got Blake. I don't know. I mean, I assume they'll try to keep Blake, but who knows at this point, like what kind of contract he wants. I guess maybe give him the mid-level. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, say, I have no idea. Would the mid-level be too much? Would that not be enough? I, I really don't know. Uh, this, this also is something that, that's funny that came up during game three. There were some a uh, couple of Brooklyn Nets fans behind me and in front of us uh, who one guy, Middleton, was dribbling the ball and took a shot. I think he missed. And the guy, the Brooklyn guy screamed over my head, you know, Middleton, you're overpaid. And it's like they had to overpay him. It's like, man, you have DeAndre Jordan doing like crochet on the bench for $15 million a year. Like I it's crazy how well constructed this team is. You know, the Nets are even with like DeAndre Jordan just getting like money to do literally nothing. And I forget who did they trade to get Landry Shamit? Like that has been a complete bust. I think it was just a pick. um, But, you know, that could have turned into something Uh, like you said, no Dinwiddie. Like this roster could be even better. Than it currently is, and and you know they're only what four point dogs I think tonight without uh, Kyrie Irving and with a hobbled James Harden. Like, I mean, what, obviously that speaks more to just having Kevin Durant on your team and what that does 
in terms of raising your floor and, and just keeping your ceiling in the elite status. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not a bare bones roster. And I, I think obviously the injuries that have started to pile up recently for all three of these guys are the biggest concern going forward, along with the age for, for Durant and Harden specifically. But the Nets should probably be better next year, I would think, right? It, just in terms of getting buyout guys, using that mid-level, um, having you know more time to just evaluate some of the younger players, switch a few pieces out. Like even if they even if the injuries just become too much and, and they lose this series or they lose in the East Finals, they're gonna be they're gonna be well positioned, assuming that there's not some sort of flame out between Kyrie, Harden, and Durant. They're gonna be well positioned to be probably the favorite in the East for the next two to three years at least. Yeah, I think I think they will be. There's no reason to I mean, they still have too much talent um to not be up there. I also looked it up. Apparently they got Shamit and Bruce Brown for Sadiq Bay, Jalen Hands. Uh, uh, Musa, the 2021 second rounder, and they also traded Jay Scrub. So yeah. I think they won that deal. Although Sadiq Bay is pretty nice. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I, it's also hard to say. Like, would Sadiq Bay have looked that good as the Nets' ninth man this year <laughs> right. instead of like the, Nets, like the Pistons' like third best player, uh, possibly? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think he'd rather have Sadiq Bay going forward. But no, that's that's kind of a wash to me, I guess, given the amount of players involved at least. Well, and getting Bruce Brown's been huge for them, right? That was that was that was a gift, and he came over from Detroit directly, right? Yeah. Well, uh, well, technically this is part of a three-teamer with the Clippers yeah. still. I think they maybe added him to the trade later. I don't quite remember, but yeah, he was he was basically free. Yeah, I, I think I have down what I'm looking at now. He was basically traded for Musa in a second rounder, like just absolutely given away right before the season. Um, let's talk about the Suns real quickly. They close out in dominant fashion over the weekend. Chris Ball had one of like arguably his best playoff game ever. Uh, he has looked night and day from where he was physically early in that Lakers series and even late in that Lakers series. I mean, it was looking like that shoulder might be something that was going to kind of dog him throughout these playoffs. But it's starting with game one. I mean, he has played some of the best basketball that we've seen from him in a very long time. I mean, that was his best playoff series, I think, definitely since the Clippers run. Um, you know, he, he had some nice series in Houston, but was never really able to play his style. 37 points. In game four, didn't even have, uh, didn't even attempt a three-pointer in that game. Just dominated from start to finish against the Denver defense. That, especially in retrospect, you're like, well, why did we ever expect Denver to, to even compete in this series? Like, as soon as it was clear that Phoenix had a plan that was going to work reasonably well to slow down Jokic, um, and as soon as Michael Porter started warming up with heating pads on his back, this one was pretty much over. And you know, it doesn't always play out like it looks like it's going to on paper, but. When you say, you know, Facundo Campazzo is going to have to guard Chris Paul for extended stretches in this series, that's not going to go well. And it did not go well. Well, I mean, I was even surprised the Nuggets made it out of the first round. Like, I was relatively convinced yeah. Portland that's, would take that's care more of the Nuggets. On Portland, I, think. I think it is too, um, which is why I was, again, like, I picked Suns and Five, I think. I was confused as to why some people were picking the Nuggets. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of Chris Paul's. Um, this is this was enough, you know. I know the series was like, I mean, I thought it was relatively easy for them, but after this series, I think the general like NBA fan would not be surprised if the Suns won the title. And I wouldn't be. I mean, I think I think they could win the title if they if they face the Bucks in the finals, if they face even the Nets in the finals. You know, the Nets would probably be, would be the toughest, obviously, if they were fully healthy. But, again, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they pull it out somehow. No, I, I think it's a combination of 
you know, vanquishing a, de- a depleted Lakers team that, to be fair, was probably on track to win that series before Davis gets hurt, but they didn't, and the Suns make it through. So it's a combination of, of kind of getting that early luck in some ways and then just completely blowing the doors off of Denver and blowing the doors off of the Lakers in the last few games of that series. You know, like it's, it's not like Phoenix is just kind of like trickled its way to the conference final. Like they absolutely dominated 75% of their games so far in the playoffs and dominated the entire Denver series start to finish. So, you know, even like a team like Milwaukee, if they advance, it's like, you know, we talked about it earlier on, like, yeah, they'll, you know, they'll be in the Easter conference finals. They might be in the NBA finals, but you know, it would kind of feel like, man, they haven't really played as well as most teams normally need to play to get to this point. Whereas it feels like Phoenix is just completely peaking at the right time. Yeah. And, and watching Phoenix too, they play like with, I mean, some of this is just, you know, I feel like it's, it's being projected through Chris Paul, but the amount of confidence that they play with on a game to game basis, like it never feels like the moment is freaking them out. Um, and I think that's huge in the, in the playoffs. And I, you know, cause it was like, they, a lot of teams would be in that situation against the Lakers and they might kind of, you know, like they might get nervous. Um, you know, like sometimes when something's like in your grasp like that, you like screw up. Like when you have too much time to take a jumper and you airball it, but the Suns, I've never done that. <laughs> the Suns, well, I was, you know, uh, I was speaking from experience of, of, uh, <laughs> yesterday at, at Roto hoops. Um, but I, Phoenix has never been like that throughout this entire playoffs. They have confidently, uh, won every game that they've basically needed to win. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's no reason to believe that as, as, given the teams that are remaining, like, especially if the Nets never get healthy and lose to the Bucks, like there's not a team out there that Phoenix can't beat, right? Like I, I think Milwaukee versus Phoenix is, is probably slightly shaded in favor of the Bucks. Um, just because of some of the positional advantages that they would have, but it wouldn't be like this crazy upset if Phoenix beat the Bucks in six games in the finals especially with the way that Chris Paul is playing. I mean, you have an elite scorer and Devin Booker. DeAndre Ayton, I feel like, has completely flipped the narrative, like, on his career. I think that's yeah. fair even for, like, the casual fan. Like, I, I think most people were like, oh, yeah, that's the guy who went number one ahead of Doncic. And it's not even like he's having these dominant games. He's just been really, really good and has done exactly what they've asked him. And I, I think they realized pretty early on that they probably messed up that Doncic pick. And instead of trying to funnel possessions to DeAndre Ayton and have him put up Carl Towns numbers to prove that he wasn't the wrong pick. Like, yeah, maybe he should have gone like fourth or fifth in that draft, but I mean, he has been absolutely rock solid and has been a huge piece of this. Yeah. He has one of the most like impactful 15 points, 10 rebounds I can right. remember in a playoffs. Um, Cause that's where he's at right now. He's on 72% shooting and he just like, he gets easy looks. He defended Jokic really well. Um, you know, he's someone who again, yeah. Like, I mean, there are a lot of guys who, you know, their egos would kind of, you know, get ahead of them and they would not, uh, you know, they, they want to be doing too much. And Aiden's done a really good job of understanding exactly where he fits in with the team. He knows that he can post like even, you know, 15 and 11 doesn't look great, but it can be like a dominant 15 and 11. Um, and, you know, his, his ability to score basically easy buckets when he touches the ball, you know, inside like eight feet, like Giannis can't even hit a consistent jump hook. You know, you give eight in the ball from six feet, it's just, it's automatic. Um, and to some extent, like that's, that's a, you know, that's, I mean, that's really valuable. Um, so yeah, I mean him, I mean, if, if they make it to the conference finals and they play, like if they played the Clippers, I think he can like dominate the Clippers inside kind of like he did to the Lakers after they lost Davis. Um, and he, maybe even more so honestly, 
Um, you know, that'll be a big series for Zubac. And if they play Utah, I mean, you know, Gobert is not as gifted offensively as Jokic, obviously, but um, Aiton should be able to, like, I mean, he clearly can just, like, you know, box out Gobert. I don't think he's going to be intimidated by him. Maybe he doesn't score as much. You know, maybe it's like 10 points a game for Aiton. But he can he's shown to be impactful in, in plenty of different ways at this point. We'll see how this all plays out for Phoenix. Maybe in two weeks, we'll look back and say, remember when we thought the Suns were going to win the finals after <laughs> they lose to the Clippers in four or lose to the Jazz in six? But do you feel like this is a like a one hit wonder for a team that's depending really heavily on this 36 year old point guard who's at, at, you know playing some of the best basketball of his career? But you know, one might be out of the league in a year or two, or two might, you know, might move on to a new team after this year. Um, like, do you feel like what, what Phoenix has is sustainable if they were to lose Chris Paul to a new situation or just kind of a mutual parting of ways based on the contract? I think it's going to be tough if they lose Chris Paul. Um, you know, obviously, I think there are some things that they established this season that will help them have a higher floor for next year than they would have had otherwise. But I think what Chris Paul does for them is so insanely valuable He's proven that year after year after year. Like, it's just, it's like a, it's a broken record at this point, how impactful he is. Um, you know, cause he's, I mean, he's practically a coach also. He's like adding a coach to your team just in terms of, he knows exactly what matchups to exploit. He can point stuff out. He can tell you when to take advantage of things. And when that, vo- when that, you know, uh, when he's gone, that creates like a huge void and someone kind of has to step up and I'm not sure there, uh, there's almost nobody in the league, right? Like that can, that can kind of fill that role. That's why Chris Paul is so special. So if he leaves, I'm sure that, I mean, they probably make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if they were like six, seven, eight seed, that that would not surprise me. It, it, it for some reason, it reminds me of the Heat, even though the Heat didn't have like this 36 year old guy at the helm. Like it, it just feels like what they have is is sustainable. And if you take Chris Paul and you replace him with like a league average point guard, all of a sudden the ceiling is not NBA title. It's probably five or six seed in the Western conference. But if you can replace Chris Paul with somebody who like, you could say like, Oh, just bring, bring in Kyle Lowry for a year, try to do the exact same thing. Like, I think you want something sustainable, right? Like, like, what do you think of the idea of Phoenix bringing in Lonzo ball as a successor? Like you need, you need somebody who can, yeah, you need somebody who can carry, you know, cause like you have a great core in place in Aiton bridges Booker and the parts around those guys can change, you know, the campaigns, the Jay Crowders, um, and they will change. And, and, but as long as you have those three locked in, you're at least going to have a really nice core. The problem is like, I, and maybe they'll get there, but I, I don't quite think that Devin Booker is ever going to get to even like Donovan Mitchell territory where he's, you know, averaging 37 points a game over a seven game playoff span, or, you know, is, is giving you like 50 in, in a huge spot. Um, like he's capable of that in shorter spurts, but I, I don't know that he uh, quite has that like team carrying, um, sustainability that, that a player like Mitchell does you can't just go out and get Damian Lillard or you can't just go out and, and get LeBron James or whoever it is. But if they make the right choice and they, they kind of hit on another guy who can grow along with this team. And all of a sudden you have like a really nice big four led by Booker, but it's kind of just like this egalitarian, you know, sharing where all four of these guys split the load almost in the way that the bucks are built. Uh, but obviously you wouldn't have a guy who's quite as, you know, do it all as Giannis. Um, if, if they make the right call, like, I, I think they're built to be really good for the next five to seven years. Yeah. I was thinking of Lonzo too, when you started off, um, down that road. And I think it makes sense from the perspective of you want a guy to help, you know, facilitate the ball to Devin Booker in good yeah. spots. Um, you know, who can like 
give good passes to Bridges in the corner. We can set up Aiden. Um, I mean, I think that would be if they end up in a situation where Paul leaves and they sign Lonzo, I, I wouldn't blame them. I can't say I wouldn't do the same thing. I just don't think it would end up being the same. And I agree with you on no. Devin Booker. He's great. He is an amazing shooter, but I think he doesn't he doesn't have the kind of athleticism that that Donovan Mitchell does that allows Donovan Mitchell to be as special as he is. Um, and it's not obviously all about the dunks for Mitchell, but just his quickness is on another level. And I yeah. think that's why it's easier for him to score 35. Booker needs a little more setup. He's not the threat of him dunking on you is not there. He's not coming off ball screens with like insane speed. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you on that front, too. Yeah, the list of options to potentially bring in if you lose Paul is pretty slim. I, I think Lonzo makes by far the most sense. I'd, I'd have to see a full list of free agents. But, you know, to, to try to keep that core three intact, you know, and, and also bring in somebody who's really impactful is tough. Um, you know, I, we, I I brought up Lillard. Like if you're going to if you're if you think you can add Damian Lillard, that means you're probably giving up Booker or you're at least giving up one of Bridges and Aiton, if not both. And then you're back to the position that a lot of teams are in where you have one or two really good players, but not enough good players around them, which is basically what Lillard had been in, uh, you know, for the last eight or nine years in Portland. But yeah, it, it, what a crazy turnaround, by the way. Like the Suns were uh, an, an NBA laughingstock as recently as what two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, and you can say that about several teams in the playoffs, really. I mean, Atlanta was was certainly there. They were. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta's. You know what they did? I think some people. I, the the feeling on what Atlanta did was like all over the place. Some people were like, I hate this. These guys aren't that good. Other people were like, this is amazing. Um, you know, Trey Young, like it's Trey, Trey Young is ready to do this. Um, but yeah, I mean, Phoenix, Phoenix is in that boat. Um, I mean, if I were them, I would I would be doing everything I could to try to keep Chris Paul, even if they flame him out next round. I think um, he, what what he's done for this team is kind of unprecedented and I don't think it's really replicable and you want to just stick with that as long as you can. Honestly, I understand that getting someone like Lonzo might be more sustainable, but you know, I just, I think you'd rather keep gunning for that NBA title for like two more years than maybe have like a five year sustainable run of being the fifth seed. Right. And as, as union president, you would think Chris Paul, or you would hope Chris Paul has you know an, an understanding of, like, I, like, obviously, Phoenix wants him back. I, I don't think we were implying that, like, he's just gone after this year and he's just going to chase the money. But you have to have a point where you're willing to step back and say, look, we're not we're not going to give you, you know, a four year fully guaranteed, like fifty two million dollar a year deal. If, if the Knicks or the Hornets or whoever want to give you that, we're just we can't do that. Like, at some point, the age and, and the injury history is going to catch up with him. But if Paul's willing to do like a two plus one, I, I think you absolutely have to. A two plus one seems like it makes sense for everybody involved. Right. Um, he could still do a farewell tour somewhere in 2024. <laughs> yeah. Where would that? I mean, he doesn't really have like he can't like go back. I guess he could. I mean, he's I mean, a North him, Carolina guy. He's, I don't think he really wants to go play for the Hornets. No. New Orleans would be fun um, if he just like uh, hooked up with Zion for like one final year. Uh, assuming Lonzo was gone. I mean, I wouldn't mind if he just became like a hired mercenary to go to whatever struggling team is really in need of his leadership and is willing to pay him a, a one-year max for that. I mean, I think New Orleans would be at the top of the list. He's going to get Minnesota to the sixth seed. It's going to be yeah. awesome. That could be his legacy. Yeah, just kind of a like basically like a consultant who takes <laughs> takes like or like basically like bar rescue, like NBA team rescue. <laughs> yeah, on court consultant Chris Paul. Yeah. 
Uh, last thing, all NBA teams set to be announced tonight during the TNT broadcast. I think they're going to announce them right before the start of the Bucks nets game five. Um, we'll, we'll recap that later in the week. We're going to have Ben Zweiman of DK Nation uh, come on. He hasn't joined us in a while uh, just to, to talk playoffs, and, and we'll recap all NBA teams. But where do you stand on the notion that awards and all NBA should – you know, they should wait until after the playoffs to to announce those, and and the playoffs should be factored into the voting. So, I I'm okay with it being regular season only. Um, I don't think we should. I mean, players already do get punished for being on like really bad teams, but I don't think you should be. Um, I I don't know. I I almost think you. They could they could definitely do like a all NBA playoff team right like I'm, yeah. I'm a little surprised there isn't like a two-team all nba but just for the playoffs did, didn't they do an, a seeding game all nba last year they, they did yeah. the, see the problem the problem with that though is it would just be wouldn't it just be like three at least three guys from all the teams that are in the finals because they've just played more games and there's recency bias uh i don't know i mean maybe on first team but i mean there's always a chance like you know um like I guess second team is maybe where it would be interesting. They should do, <laughs> they should do, uh, yeah, two All NBA teams for the playoffs, but you can't pick anybody from the finals. That's that's my final offer. Take okay. it or leave it, Adam Silver. Yeah, I mean, I just think you just end up kind of kicking the can down the road, where like the, whatever team loses in the first round would just have a really hard time getting anyone on that team, even if you know, like would, would Luka Doncic make it losing in round one in seven games? Like, how do you weigh that versus somebody who played? not as well as Doncic, but made it all the way to the conference finals, you know? Well, yeah, but weren't we kind of doing that with like all NBA already where it's like, yeah. well, this player played 50, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler played 50 games or who are we we're comparing that to Randall who played like all 73 or 72. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I think I wouldn't be like mad if they included the playoffs. I guess I'm just, I, I could, I don't really have a strong opinion on it, I guess is what I'm. Yeah discovering because i don't i don't really think about this that much do you I think you're in the majority like they should be i think if they're going to do a regular season only which i am fine with they need to announce it right at the end of the regular season because you're setting yourself up for you know there's going to whoever, there's going to be one or two players on here where people can be like wait what you know it's somebody who either like you know barely made the playoffs like julius randall is going to make one of these teams and it's going to look kind of ridiculous um <laughs> but at the same time if you count the playoffs then Guys like Julius Randle, who had an awesome regular season, but struggled in a five or six game sample in round one, like that's so fresh in your memory. And it, and it means more because it's the playoffs that all of a sudden, you know, for some voters, those bad five games might outweigh an outstanding 80 games. Yeah, um, I, I think you're right. Um, I, some of it would be optics and um yeah, because usually the playoffs are memorable enough to where people aren't like going to forget. Um, I don't know, man. I, I guess I'm just like I'm I'm boring where I don't I don't have like a strong yeah. lean on this. That's fair. I I care a lot about all NBA just for posterity and history and you know just I, I like to I like to look at Basketball Reference and try to remember and say like oh yeah that that sounds about right I remember that season this helps you remember what happened. It's interesting though I, I think so much would change you know I mentioned the Randall example. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think like all of a sudden, you know, like Chris Paul, I, I think his, the way that he's viewed just even in these last three or four games against Denver, you know, his profile has risen quite a bit. I think Devin Booker, um, all of a sudden would have a case, you know, Donovan Mitchell, you mentioned, I don't Lillard think he's played even. well enough. What's I that? mean, 
I think Lillard, well, I, I made a tweet about this, but like, I think even, Ra- I mean, Randall's going to finish ahead of Damian Lillard in MVP voting, right? Pretty Probably. good. It's going to be close. a good chance. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's a good chance. He, and like, that would be absurd. You know what right. I mean? So like, if you, yeah, if you, if you wait until the end of the playoffs on this stuff, I think you, you might get more representative samples. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you're right. Cause I'm with you in terms of like all NBA is great for, for history. Um, looking back on the league. So yeah, I think, um, it might make more sense, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe then you even just, you do you end up creating more of a rings culture than already exists. If, yeah. well, I don't even know if that's really possible, honestly. Yeah. But. I, I think, like I said, I think it would really slant in favor of the winning team. I think you'd just end up shoehorning guys. Cause you'd be like, well, this guy lost in round one and yeah, he averaged 25 a game, but how do you not put, you know, role player X from the title winning team on first team? Um, what I really want, and this is kind of a half-baked idea, I want there to be an MVP, like there always is, and that, that's regular season MVP. It's well-deserved, whoever wins it. I think the NBA should have, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a wrestling-style belt, but there should be a separate award for the number one player in the league, the best player in the league, and it's just like a, a traveling trophy, basically. And it's like, all right, on, on the same day every year, we announce this guy is the best player in the league, and it's up to everybody else to try to take that title from him over the next year. So like, even though LeBron might not win the MVP in 2014 or 2015 or 2016, he might win the belt as the best player. And it would have to be much like MVP. It'd have to be a combination of media voting. I, I think you probably keep the fans out of this. I don't think they can be trusted. Yes. Uh, it'd have to be media voting and players voting and coaches voting, maybe executives as well. And you'd have to find a way to make them take it seriously. I also don't know if that's possible, but I, I would love there to be, cause that's all people talk about, right? It's like, is this guy a top 10 player? Is this guy a top five player? Is LeBron still the best player in the league? Is Kawhi the best player in the league? Like, it would be awesome if there was a historical record of like, no, this is the guy who's the best player in the league. We settled it and there's proof of it here. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to that. Um, I think it would create, I mean, it would create, like the storylines already exist, but it would make it tangible, right? And, um, you know, I think the same like three to four players would be in the discussion every single season. Yeah, that's fine. Um, no, I agree. Yeah, that's fine. You know, it would it would kind of bounce between like right now it'd be like LeBron versus KD versus Kawhi. Maybe throw Steph in there. Yeah. Um, I think, I and you'd Giannis. have to do this. This would be after the finals. This would include the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the point of the whole thing. Right. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And I, I think I think LeBron would have held it for 12 of the last 15 years. But I think I think Durant would have taken it in 2017 and 2018. I think there's a good chance Kawhi would have rode the momentum and taken it in 2019. Like it, it would be the same guys for the most part, but especially if you're taking the playoffs into consideration and, and obviously injuries are, are going to befall certain players. Like I, I just think it'd be a really fun idea. It would obviously kind of be a, I think it would feel a little hokey and it would, it would have to be like a made for TV thing, but it'd be a lot of fun. Like a, a player would literally have the title of I'm the best player in the league. It wouldn't just be something that you're assigned by Stephen A. Smith. It'd be interesting too, because I think LeBron could probably miss an entire season and he could still keep the belt. Sure. If if he's voted, if his peers and the media still think he's the best player, then absolutely. Yeah. How many how many consecutive seasons would LeBron have to miss to not get voted best player in the world? Three. It depends. Yeah. I mean, it depends <laughs> on when and and the circumstances. But yeah, I think somewhere in the two to three range is probably about right. Yeah. Now not as much. But if we had had this conversation like three years ago, um, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's get it on the record. Prediction, Bucks-Nets, Game 5. 
Uh, again, by the time most people listen to this, that game will, will have likely been played already. So we'll, we'll see how this looks in retrospect. But how do you think this plays out tonight? Uh, I'm going with a Bucks win. Um, I don't really think Harden's healthy enough to play well. There's a chance that he, if he tries to play too, through it too much, he could like go 0 for 7 or something. It could hurt them. I don't know. Um, I'm just not really factoring that in a ton. I think the, the Bucks figured stuff out in game four that they really uh, needed to figure out. And I think they'll continue to, uh, to, you know, bully the, the nets inside even a little bit more. So um, are you, are, are you on the same page? I am. I, I think they, you know, whether it's like quote unquote cheapened because of the injuries or not, I think the bucks know that they have a huge opportunity to win tonight. I, I think they, I, I will say they didn't play quite as confidently as I would have liked. Like after Kyrie went down, the Nets played them like relatively closely. I think KD had 16 in the third. Like it's not like the Bucks just ran away with it from there. They went on their big, I think it was 17 to two uh, run before Kyrie got hurt. And, and that was kind of enough to just sustain for the rest of the game. But it wasn't like it was night and day and, and the Nets just collapsed without Kyrie. So I, I think Durant's good enough that this isn't going to be a blowout, but assuming Harden is not Harden, then I, I just don't think you know, the talent dis- disparity at that point is just too much, even if the Bucks aren't playing all that well in this series. Um, you know, if it's Kevin Durant against Milwaukee's basically healthy roster minus DiVincenzo, um, that, that's, I just don't see how the Bucks would lose this game. So, I mean, it, it would be a monumental loss if, if they found yeah. a way to, right? I mean, if, if the entire Bucks lineup stays healthy throughout this game and somehow loses, uh, then, then we're really going to have something to talk about later this week. But no, I, I mean, like I said earlier, I think when, you could key on Durant, uh, obviously, because, you know, you're not quite as worried about Harden. You throw Tucker on him. I, I do think Durant's going to get more calls. I don't think they're going to let Tucker beat him up, you know, 75 feet from the basket like they did in game four. So that's something to keep an eye on. But, you know, you feel like you can at least slow down KD because of the lack of options around him. As long as you can just put somebody on Joe Harris to prevent him from getting wide open looks from three. You know, if Blake Griffin and Jeff Green and Bruce Brown and Landry Shamit beat you, you know, you're willing to live with that, I guess, maybe, maybe that's not the right expression, but um, there's, there's just not enough talent behind Durant. Uh, and again, this is with the caveat that Harden doesn't look like James Harden. So I'll say, I'll say we'll go with Milwaukee 102, Brooklyn 94. I, I think it's another lower scoring game. Yeah, I'm with you on that. 